Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another week of the Informed Catholic. This is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 75 of the Informed Catholic. And we are now in the 22nd week of Ordinary Time. So, following Jesus Christ is infinitely better but definitely not easy to be a Christian in this world you're going to be ridiculed laughed at you're going to be mocked you're going to be made fun of people will mock you behind your back they may mock you in front of your face Um, they will be angry. They will hate you. Some will hate you. Jesus himself said, I came not to bring peace, but the sword. I knew a gentleman, a, um, an Iraqi gentleman who, who actually belonged to a sect I believe the names is pronounced as Mendayan. And supposedly they're one of the few or the only remaining Gnostic sect. Gnostic is, they were the secret gospel. And they claim to be disciples of John the Baptist. He, as smart as he was, as smart as he is, he's still around. And he read the Gospels, and he read this passage of Jesus claiming to bring the sword. Not peace. He didn't comprehend what Jesus was saying. He meant division. Division within families because of the truth. A division. Your own family is a microcosm of the the society you live in the culture you live in, the world you live in, the politics you live in. All right, that's what it is. That's what it means. Our own culture is divided. All right, we're a materialistic culture And we're also an indifferent culture, indifferent to ourselves on a shallow level. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that as long as the other person is lost as we are, we're okay. As long as the other person is as immoral as we are, it's okay. As long as the other individual, either in my household, my family, my job, my country, my society, is as morally unhappy, morally, spiritually unhappy and lost, 
then all is well, all is good. But as soon as that individual finds Jesus Christ in their lives, and as soon as that person gets their life together, as soon as that person is different, changed, Because really what happens when we find Christ, we change. Everything about our lives has changed. Everything how we see the world has changed. How we see the corruption around us, we, because the, 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 the scales in our eyes have dropped and we begin to see that our society is going to hell in a, ba- in, 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 you know, in a handbasket. Our families are going to hell in a handbasket. Our friends are going to hell in a handbasket. Can we remain quiet? Does the, does the gospel allow us to remain indifferent as we were indifferent before? And the answer is no. The gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ, following him, requires, demands of us that we go out and we share the gospel. We share it with our friends. We share it with our families. We share it with our co-workers. We share share it with our neighbors. We share it with everybody. Now, Of course, we're not all preachers and we're not all evangelists. That's true. But if you look at the gospel, it says it in in this way. We must go out and bear fruit. We must be the people, the city on the hill. We must be the people... We can't, we can't put a lamp or a candle under a hand basket or underneath a table or underneath a chair, right? The candle must be placed where everyone can see the light. Okay. That's, that's true. And we must bear fruit. And to bear fruit means to live out the gospel, to live out the faith, to, to, to go out and interact with people and let them see the changes in us. Let them see, let them see the, let them in time notice that we're not the same person as they remember because that's what the gospel demands and people will notice like he says you know let your light shine that others may see so that's that's how we're supposed to do it and we we pray we pray for our family we pray for, we pray for our friends 
We pray for our enemies. Remember what Jesus said. If you love those who love you, what reward shall you have? For even, you know, even those who do evil love those who love them. There's no difference. You have to, you have to pray even for those people who give you a hard time. Even for those people that just, that simply just don't like you. They simply are just not, you know, you just don't get along with them because there's a personality difference. Or people who may be just a bit difficult, difficult family members, difficult co-workers. We're always going to have those people who are difficult in our lives. All right. I, I deal with, I deal with some difficulty too, and I'm not perfect by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. I know I'm not perfect. You know, I know that that might be, there might, there is difficulty with me. I'm sure, you know, I, I have, I suffer from weariness a lot of times because I'm just tired. I've been doing the same work, uh, 25 years at this place and you know I'm just I'm ready to throw in the towel I'm ready to do so I pray that I can find something different to do I just you know I just got four and a half more years to go and I can retire from this place and I'm I'm ready to do something different I'm ready for God to show me what else what else is there to do you know I don't I know one thing, I'm just tired of this place that I've been at for a long time. But this is different, you know, kind of different, but not completely different. It's just that we repeat, you know, God made us into what you call social creatures, where we are. And our God is a social God, obviously. Christ becoming human showed us that he is a social savior. He's, he, you know, he mingles, he socializes, he works, lives among people. He lived among people and he still is among, among us. So, yeah. But we have to share the gospel and there's some interesting ways we could do it. Anyway, let's start with let's start with the, with our prayers. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri Elysion. Kiri elision, kiri elision, Christe elision, 
Christe elision, Christe elision, Kiri elision, Kiri elision, Kiri elision. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. With the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, you could say the Gloria just by itself sometime during the day and... Whenever you feel this moment of weariness, of, uh, you know, dissatisfaction, like, around you, it just takes a moment to find a, a moment to be quiet and just surrender yourself to God, to surrender yourself to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Surrender yourself to them. And not saying it's going to be completely perfect, but definitely you will remember, just remember that Christ himself came into a world where <clears throat> he dealt with work, he dealt with people, he dealt with na difficult neighbors, he dealt with difficult family members, he dealt with all oh, dysfunctional people. And so we're not alone. We are not definitely not alone. The Gloria will make will will help us remember that all glory belongs to God. All blo all glory belongs to Him. And Him alone. And our lives belong to Him. Everything we have, including our family, belongs to Him. And that we we adore him and worship him, even in difficult moments and in when we are unhappy and depressed. No matter what, our lives belong to him. You know, there's a you know I mean look, there's a lot of people out there that are just dissatisfied about the direction of their lives. And what they feel is the meaning and purpose of their lives, right? I mean, just go on a New York City subway and you'll see the faces. And you know you're not alone because you know you're one of them. Right? 
get off on a platform in the Upper West Side. And there's a homeless man laying on the tracks. Right? Shirtless on top, from the top. Pants halfway down. All the all this junk is hanging out. And 15, 20 feet, definitely within eye, eye contact of him. I mean, you could... It's impossible that you can't look back. Attractive young woman standing there looking at her phone. Right? Headset on. You can't tell me she couldn't see the, the this this human tragedy in front of her. But completely indifferent. Because I said we live in a materialistically indifferent society. And we're we look for distractions to to keep to to look away you know we're 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 so politically correct we're so we're so woke and socially aware right of everything around us but it's all just a big giant lie but as soon as you start talking about the gospel, as soon as you're talking about Christ, as soon as you're talking about sin, you mentioned the word sin, you watch how everybody starts foaming at the mouth. All right, you start watching how everybody starts getting angry. You start seeing how everybody wants to shut you down. Even our priests are careful about it. Our bishops are careful about it. Our cardinals are careful about it. And even our Pope is too cautious. Sorry, but this is a fact. This is the kind of world we live in. Every tree that does not bear good fruit must be cut down and thrown into the fire. God, God is the pruner. He prunes, meaning he'll look at each branch and see which branch looks sick. And which branch, all right, has the potential of growing, but needs to be pruned, needs to be cleaned of the sick branches, of the sick leaves. That's, that's what it is. All right, so the first reading, our first reading is from the book of Sirach. Humble yourself and you will find favor with God. It's chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, 20, 28 to 29. My child, conduct your affairs with humility, and you will be loved more than a giver of gifts. Humble yourself the more, the greater you are, and you will find favor with God. What is too sublime for you, seek not. Into th what is too sublime for you, seek not into things beyond your strength. Search not. Okay, let me read that one more time. What is too sublime for you, seek not into things beyond your strength. Search not. The mind of a sage appreciates proverbs, and in in. Attentive ear is the joy of the wise. 
Water quenches a flaming fire, and alms atone for sins. Okay, well, I'll read it one more time. Sirach chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, 20, 28 to 29. My child, conduct your affairs with humility, and you will be loved more than a giver of gifts. Humble yourselves, humble yourself the more, the greater you are, and you will find favor with God. What is too sublime for you, seek not. Seek not into things beyond your strength, search not. The mind of a sage appreciates proverbs, and an attentive ear is the joy of the wise. Water quenches a flaming fire, and alms atone for sins. Word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So, it's interesting. In the uh, in the book Imitation of Christ, there is a very interesting. Um, he says something very similar about you know people desperately trying to show off their intellect, trying to show off their knowledge of of certain sciences or their knowledge of doctrine or dogma. You know, these particular behaviors, so like conduct your affairs with humility. Humility, humility does not mean weakness. Humility means um, wisdom. A, a humble a person who has a proper form of I guess you could say some form of modesty, some modesty of of the intellect. In other words, in other words, you're willing to accept that someone is far better at things than you are, but not with jealousy. It's basically humility is not weakness. Humility is a love for God, a willing to accept God's will. And willing to accept God's will and authority in others. And also a willing to accept that someone is better at something than you. Not not with shame, not with you know, not in a way that that, that makes you feel bad. You know, humility can go both ways. One is a person who is in a higher position can realize that someone who is of a lower position is knows more than them, but doesn't do it in a way to show up. Because when, when people show off their knowledge, when they try to show off their knowledge, they're looking for glory. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for an acknowledgement of others. You know, they want the person to, th to say that they're wise. They want the person to acknowledge that they're smarter. But doesn't mean you're better. Knowledge of something doesn't make you more holy. Knowledge, having the knowledge or intellect, or let's say the, the education, doesn't make you a better person. Some people become very arrogant and they show off and they do it to humiliate others, to embarrass others, to make others feel stupid. 
that is that is arrogance. It's vanity. It's pride. You want people to acknowledge your 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 intelligence. You want people to say, "Hey, that's a smart that's a smart person." That's called vanity. That's called pride. And vanity of pride always wants to make others look bad and feel stupid. Humility is a person who has knowledge, has has all the intelligence, but acts like they don't have it. Behave, don't be, they, they don't behave in that negative manner. They don't. It doesn't make them ugly. I mean, you know, they they know certain things. They know they have knowledge of certain things, but they don't you know you know you know they don't have vanity. And some people have knowledge and a lot of vanity, and you have a lot of ego, and they make sure they want everybody to know that they know it, and they want everybody to feel stupid around them. You see what I'm saying? Every workplace has someone like that. But the book, uh, I'll read something here. Hold on. Here. I'll read the first chapter of The Imitation of Christ. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. This is quoting uh, Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. These are the words of Christ, by which we are counseled to imitate his life and way of acting. If we truly want to be enlightened and delivered from all blindness of heart, then let our principal study be meditation on the life of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of Christ surpasses all the doctrines of the saints, and whoever has its spirit will find a hidden manna in it. Quoting Revelation chapter two verse seventeen, but for many it happens that 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 after frequently hearing the gospel, it has little effect because they do not have the spirit of Christ. Those who would fully and joyfully understand the words of Christ must study how they can make th their whole lives. Confirm, confirm to that of Christ. Hold on. Of what use is it to argue profoundly about the Trinity if you have no humility and consequently are displeasing to the Trinity? In truth, sublime words do not make one holy and just. However, a virtuous life makes one dear to God. For my part, I would rather feel re repentance than than be able to define it. If you know, if you knew the whole Bible by heart and the sayings of all the philosophers, what would uh, what would it all profit you without the love and grace of God? Vanity of vanities, and all is vanity. He's quoting now Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Except loving God and serving only Him. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Except loving God and serving only Him. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, 10 to 20. This is the greatest wisdom to despise the world and to aspire to the kingdom of heaven. It is vanity, therefore, to seek wealth and to place your trust in it when it all certainly disappear. It is vanity also to be ambitious for honors and high positions. It is vanity to indulge in the desires of the flesh and to and to involve yourself in things for, for which you later will be grievously punished. It is vanity to wish for a long life and not to be concerned with leading a good life. It is vanity also to be attentive only to this present life and not to look forward to those things which is which are to come. It is vanity to love that which passes quickly and not to concentrate on eternal joy. Remember often the proverb, the eye is not satisfied to see or the ear to hear. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 8. Consider how to turn your heart from what is seen to what is unseen. For those who follow only their senses tarnish their conscience and lose the grace of God. So this, this pretty much I think sums up everything what Ecclesiastes is trying to say. It sums it up and still it's worth reading Sirach himself. Sirach is what we were reading first, sorry. You know, the great, you know, you know, like it says here, this is this is very similar to what was said in in uh, humble yourself. The more greater you are, and you will find favor with God. Humble yourself, humble yourself with with the more, the greater you are, and you will find yourself with God. What what is too sublime for you, seek not into things beyond your strength. Search not. The mind of a sage appreciates proverbs. An attentive ear is the joy of the wise. Water quenches a flaming fire, and alms atone for sins. So, hum humility, humility meaning realize just that the danger of, of showing off how much knowledge you have does not always lead to a better life. It does not even lead to a pleasing soul before God. You know, people want more political power. People, yes, we all need money. But imagine if you had a rich person who didn't act arrogantly, who didn't act with, who didn't behave with contempt with the world around them. Imagine that. Right? A lot of people expect that kind of person. You know? And a lot of people think that they almost have a very paganistic attitude that I have been favored by, by the gods with all this money because I'm better than all of you. No. Doesn't matter what kind of, you know, what kind of career you had. Doesn't matter if you're an artist. Doesn't matter if you're a celebrity. Doesn't matter what. Doesn't matter how beautiful you are or the greatest fashion designer. None of those things mean anything. None of them is anything. Anyway, let's move on to the next reading. Okay, Psalm 68. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. 
God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. The just rejoice and exult before God. They are glad and rejoice. Sing to God, chant praise to his name, whose name is the Lord. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. The father of orphans and the defender of widows. The father of orphans and the defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor. A bountiful rain you shower down, O God, upon your inheritance. You restore the land when it's languished, your flock settled in. In your goodness, O God, you provided it for the needy. God, in your goodness, you have provided a home for the poor. Okay, let's read the whole thing through. The just rejoice and exult before God. They are glad and rejoice. Sing to God, chant praise to his name, whose name is the Lord. The father of orphans and the defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. A beautiful rain you shower down, O God, upon your inheritance. You restored the land when it is languished. Your flock settled in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided it for the needy. Amen. When we read the Psalms, don't read it as something as far away, just because it speaks, let's say, of a culture in a place that's far away. Read it as a personal prayer. Look at Try to find yourself, find your own, your own need, your own, um, your own spiritual need for nourishment. The just rejoice and exult before God. They are glad and rejoice. Sing to God, chant praise to his name, whose name is the Lord. Okay. The father of the orphans and the defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. So we picture yourself as a spiritual orphan, that you've been abandoned, that you feel abandoned. That sometimes your sins make you an orphan. Your, your um, neglect, your uh, misconduct, your moment of weakness makes you know you feel ashamed. You feel embarrassed, which is okay. These things do happen. Sometimes we have a moment of temptation. Sometimes we have a moment of weakness. Sometimes we have a moment where. 
we we abandon God and then suddenly because of the sin we find out we've been tricked and fooled we've allowed ourselves to feel fooled that we were strong when we were truly weak and the thing is you have to admit that you're weak the Psalms teach us how to pray and the Psalms teach us also to never assume we're strong. Like remember earlier what I just read to you, the whole purpose is to remember no matter what, how much doctrine, how much knowledge, how much theology um, you have, you could be spiritually weak. All that knowledge of scripture and everything could make you spiritually weak. And you know, it's it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a lot of scholars like that, and a lot there's a lot of Catholic priests like that, there's a lot of Catholic nuns like that, there's a lot of Catholic uh cardinals and bishops, uh lay people, there's a lot of Protestants like that. It doesn't make a difference. The only ones I would say that are honest is the ones that say they don't believe and yet they have a scholarship in the scripture. They have a scholarship in something because they, in their view, this is their career. And so they make a career out of destroying the scriptures, disproving them. And that in itself is sad, but at least they're more honest. But then you have a lot of Catholics who, who seem to be destroying scripture all the time, claiming that they're devout Catholics they're they're disproving the uh the historicity of the gospels they're they don't believe in the miracles they don't believe uh it really was what was interpreted and it, and it leaves a lot of catholics their faith destroyed they don't they don't know what to believe they're hearing all this negativity they're hearing all this stuff from the pulpit by a priest and their faith is ransacked their faith is destroyed you know, they weren't really miracles. They weren't really, they weren't really miracles at all. I mean, we'll go into that another time, but you know what I mean? The point is, your faith has to be stronger, all right, than, than all negativity. All right, it has to be stronger than all negativity. I I have learned to accept this. Why wouldn't there be bad people among the faithful? Why wouldn't there be unbelievers hiding inside the church? Why wouldn't there be uh, all this? Why wouldn't there be all this negativity against the faith, destroying the the real the the reliability, the confidence in the scriptures, it doesn't surprise, it should not surprise you. Okay, there's a lot of bad people in the world. There's a lot of people who hate God and atheism is more psychological and emotional than it is intellectual, really, because very few atheists can keep it intellectual. There's smart ones out there and there are a lot, you know, they know they know how to do it. They know how they know how to attack the faith. Anyway, let's let's move on. Remember, just stick to the Psalms as your prayer book. 
All right. Our second reading is from the uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, 18 to 19, 20 to 24. You have approached Mount Zion, the city of the living God. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. You have not approached that which could be touched and a blazing fire and a gloomy darkness and storm and the trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such that those who heard begged that no Im- no message be further addressed to them. No, you have approached Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and countless angels and festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, the judge of all and the spirits of the just made perfect and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. Okay, the word of the living God here. So, what are we reading here? Let's read it one more time, very slowly. You have not approached that which could could be touched. You have not approached that which could be touched in a blazing fire and a gloomy darkness and storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such that those who heard beg that no message be further addressed to them. Um, what the writer is saying here, he's pointing back to the time of, of the Exodus with Moses. When they came to the mountain and they heard the blasts, they saw the fire come down, the cloud, the dark cloud. Um, um, the the, you know, the the time when God gave them the Ten Commandments, when they made a covenant, and the the dark cloud and the fire, and they saw and they they heard the t- trumpet blasts, and the angels were were like fiery uh, uh, these fiery images whirling around the mountain, the clouds. That was God. And it terrified them, and they asked that God didn't, that God would not speak to them, the Israelite, the people. They didn't want to get close to the mountain. They were terrified of what they saw. It it just brought terror to them. They they it was beyond their imagination. Like it says here, and of and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words, such that those who heard begged that no message be further addressed to them. No, you approach Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and countless angels and festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, the judge of all and the spirits of the just made perfect and Jesus mediator of a new covenant and a sprinkling blood that speaks more eloquently than of Abel. All right, what he's the writer is doing here is saying the people of the past because of their state of sin and because of the fall, everything that happened, they were in such a horrific spiritual condition 
that they could not handle the glory of God and that because of their sins, it got in the way of their relationship with God. They, our ancestors, the people of the past, were so held captive to a state of sin that it basically blocked their intellect. You know, when people give in, give in completely to sin, completely to evil, completely to 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 an animalistic, uh, dark spiritual nature, it makes it makes the 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 sight of looking at God almost impossible, almost completely impossible. Not that everybody was hopeless. There were those who who were spiritually awake and could not stand the evil, could not stand the the ugliness, could not stand the state of of of, of possession. In a sense, it was a state of possession. Remember, they felt, you know, even though they they saw the glory, they saw everything that happened before uh, what that helped them leave Egypt, they still resisted. They still completely resisted and they gave in. When they when Moses went up the mountain and he came down with the tablets, they didn't they um they didn't believe him. They were committing sins. They were they were going they were acting like animals. They had an orgy. It was a Bathas party, a Baca party, basically. They were raping each other, they were killing each other, they were they they made a golden calf. It was an orgy. And when Moses finally appeared to them, what did they do? They didn't believe him. And Moses smashed the tablets. And they still didn't believe him. And then when he ordered them that they had to wash their clothes and get ready for, for, them, for them to meet God, to, to receive the covenant, they were terrified. The, 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 the cloud came down. It was a large cloud. It darkened everything. Uh, I can imagine a storm. Um, the angels, like fiery creatures, were flying in and out of the cloud. The cloud covered the mountain the people were told to stay away but when they were told they can get close they refused they were terrified it horrified them it was more than just a sight it was a spiritual reaction a spiritual horrific reaction because they of their own sinful nature they could not handle being before them before the almighty it terrified them it terrified them because they were held in captivity to their own evil and because they refused to confess those sins and to admit of their of their their spiritual defect okay that's what people say when we stand before god we will see ourselves the way he sees us and we will know that we should be punished because we will know the truth. We will know what we are and we, our minds will, our minds will be clear enough that we can't bear being in his presence because of our sins. And we ourselves will confess to divine judgment. That's the whole point here. This is, this is the whole point of it. It's because we're clear enough. The demons themselves could not stand being before Jesus because they knew 
of their of their rebellion. They knew of their condition. The devil himself will knows of, of why he can't stand being before the presence of the Almighty. He knows it. And so we will beg for judgment. We will beg for justice. Because we will be too much in pain in his presence. That's why we need a redeemer. That's why we need to be redeemed now. That's why we need to we need to to embrace God and confess our sins now. The incarnation changed everything. The spiritual condition of the world before the incarnation is different when Jesus became flesh and the redemption and everything, the whole Paschal mystery changed everything, changed everything. In, in, all of humanity changed because of his coming, but not completely because there's, because there's a lot of people that are still blinded, are still, are still don't understand like Muslims. All right. They don't, they don't believe that Christ is God. They don't believe in the incarnation. They believe Christ, you know, the whole different, the whole different thing with Islam. This is completely different, but they don't understand the Trinity, but everyone did change. The conditions of the human person change because of the incarnation, because of the word becoming flesh, because God restored, God restored the glory that humanity lost at one point. You see what I'm saying? And then suddenly, you know, but it's not complete for others as it is for those who received Christ. You see? But still, it has to go a step further. The world has to be converted. The world has to know. That's why here in the Hebrews, for us who have received Christ, we're not approaching a dark mountain, a, a dark cloud in a mountain. Those who, those who are still trapped in their sins see judgment. They see something that frightens them. But for us, we see the eternal city of the living God. We see the saints. We see the festival gathering, the, the liturgical celebration. We see it differently than them. We see, we see God and we see his mercy. We see his love. We see the glory. We're not afraid to approach that mountain. We're not afraid to approach that assembly because we have been redeemed and we're come and we're dressed to enter the wedding feast of the lamb. To take part in the wedding feast because we're mem we we are we are we are members of the bride of Christ, but for them, because they're still struggling with their sins, they're still they still don't want to give them give it up. They their vision is blocked from the full truth because they have blocked themselves. They blinded themselves to to evil. They're not ready to give it up. They're not ready to confess their sins. But they're but they are they they know pretty well when the day of judgment comes they will know they will see and they will see what they have lost and they will see what they have gained because of the loss and they and they themselves will know 
that the just the justice of God is true. All right. Meet it one more time and we'll move on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, 19, 22 to 24. You have not approached that which could be touched in a blazing fire and a gloomy darkness and storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such as that these such as those who heard beg that no message begged that no message be further addressed to them. No, you approach Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the countless angels in festal gathering in the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, the judge of all and the spirits of that just made perfect and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. One more time, I'm going to say this. You have not approached that which could be touched, which could be touched, and I'm believing this fire in a gloomy darkness and storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words. Okay. It could be touched, right? But because of their sins, they could not touch it. They were ashamed. All right. They were told in the beginning not to get, not to get close. But then Moses told them they can get closer and they refused to get close. Remember that. It's, it's, it's a tricky passage here. I think it's the way it's edited. But definitely they were afraid. They were terrified. And because of their sins. But they weren't ready. Like I said, they weren't ready because of their spiritual condition. It's a difficult passage the way, the way it's worded. You have not approached that which could be touched in a blazing fire, in a gloomy darkness. You know, they could touch it if God is not there, you know, if God didn't come down. But afterward, they could not touch it because they were terrified of their sins, because they were terrified to stand before God. Remember, Moses was terrified. He was terrified to look at the burning bush. It's similar, but Moses now can get closer. Remember, Moses got close to God and Moses came out like, like a polished ruby. I mean, he shined so unbelievable. But still at the condition, the spiritual condition of the world, he could still not look directly at the glory of God. He could be in the presence of God, but he could not look directly at the glory of God because the incarnation didn't happen yet. All right, let's move on. Okay. Now the Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. Take my yoke upon you, says the Lord, and learn from me, for I am not for I am meek and humble of heart. Alleluia, Alleluia. Matthew eleven verse twenty-nine. Take my yoke upon you, says the Lord, and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Learn from Jesus. Take his yoke. His yoke is his teaching, his learning, and also his cross to pick up the cross of Christ. And we have to, like the imitation of Christ, we have to imitate him. That's why it was called the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You learn from him. You immerse yourself from in him. We become him. Not Maybe not him, him, but obviously we become him because we become his followers. 
we could be become members of his body you sacramentally mystically you know deeply in a sense almost like becoming one the way yes the way a husband and wife become one in marriage all right a reading from the holy gospel according to saint luke chapter 14 verse 1 to 7 to 24 everyone who exalts himself will be humbled everyone who humbles himself will be exalted okay on the sabbath jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading pharisees let's do it one more time there was a plane flying above on the sabbath jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading pharisees and the people there were observing him carefully they wanted to see catch him at any uh <laughs> Anything that he does that uh, goes against the ceremony or the ritual of the Pharisees. One more time. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told the parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone, take a wedding uh, to a wedding banquet. Do not recline at the table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, Give your place to this man. And then you would, be, you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place to that. When the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companion at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, when you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors in case they, might, they may invite you back and you have repayment. But rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be, will you be because of their inability to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, well, I mean, you have to admit it's quite powerful. What is, why is Jesus telling us this? Well, let's put it this way. Everyone, it, this is all vanity. This is all materialism. This is all shallow appearances. Everyone wants to be the friend of the powerful and rich. Basically, you're polishing their ego. All right? Or as some people, you know, we say these days, you're kind of a butt kisser, an ass kisser. Let's face it, that's true. You want to be as close as possible to them. You want them to notice you and you want them to notice. I mean, practically, you're licking the bottom of their shoes. That's how we say it in now in modern society, right? It's gross, but it's true. 
Everybody wants to be as close as possible to this powerful, rich person who has a lot of money and you want to be invited so you can eat. You're a freeloader. Put it that way. Now, these are people who may have money, but not as rich as this person. You know, picture taking your mind, George Soros, Mike Bloomberg or whatever, or Bill Gates or Carl Schwab, whatever. They have lots of money. So everybody wants, you know, you want them to know, I, I, I support you. I'm on your side. But this is all vain stuff. And when they invite to the table, they want to sit as close as possible, not culture as, you know, tables, I guess, weren't really assigned, but sit as close as possible to them so that you can be noticed that you're close to them. It's like, uh, it's almost like, in a sense, it's paganistic, it's idol worship. You know, Moses got close to God, even though he could still couldn't see God, but he came out like... Like the way metal is put into fire, a, fri a fiery furnace, you absorb the heat of God. The, you, you, you touch the glory of God. That, in a sense, they want, they want to be as close as possible because in their minds, you know, they, for, like people want to be invited. They want to be at the, at, at the dinner party, the cocktail party or something. And, and, you know, they want everybody to see them that they've been invited by this powerful rich person. So that other, so that some of their, their, um, their, their reputation, their, uh, they can, they can get some of that reputation. They can get some of that glory and other people can envy them and other people can fear them. You know, that's how it is. I mean, you get that at work, you get that at everywhere. People, people want that. They want you to see that this is their status. That's paganism. It's idol worship. It's shameful. It's shameful behavior. It's also degrading to your own dignity. But this is how people think. It's political. It's social. It's economic. It's uh, a status. But it's paganism. It's serious paganism. It's idol worship. You're burning incense at their altar. You're, you're worshiping them. You're worshiping the ground they, they walk on. Let's face it. That's what it is. This is our model, our, our, our modern idol worship. This is it, people. This is it. And it's sad. But what does Jesus say? Don't, don't sit close to them because you might be told to move further down. That was a humiliating thing back then. And everybody saw that you were humiliated. But Jesus saying, if you're invited... Don't put so much spotlight on yourself. Don't try to crawl on, uh, to get to the to get as close as possible to them because you might be told to. You might be humiliated. You might be humbled, and everybody will know you've been humiliated. Rather, he's saying, "Don't, don't, don't do that. Take the lowest seat. It's safer. Humble yourself. Humble yourself." for safety reasons, humble yourself for, for spiritual reasons. Don't try to glorify yourself because you will be humiliated one way or another. You will be, when someone comes along and does, and does something that's more beneficial to that person 
and has more value because they have better skills that you don't have. It could hurt hurt person that way so much that it even hardens them against God. Put your put your hope in God. Put your 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 salvation, your dignity, your your passion in Him. Don't put your don't 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 measure yourself to these people, who probably don't even know your name and will never get your name right. Jesus Himself, you know, knows the temptations of this world because he he was invited to, he was invited, and notice how it says they watched him carefully. They wanted to see if he follows their ritualistic practices, if he plays by their rule book. Jesus doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. And, you know, the words here are very important for us. He told a parable. Those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing places of honor at a table. When you were invited by someone at, to a wedding banquet, this could be a wedding banquet or some business co corporate banquet, doesn't make a difference. Do not recline a table in the place of honor. These days, of course, they always assign you at a table, right? They, they tell you where to sit, your name. They already plan where you're going to sit. And, you know, but still... The desperation to be noticed. I've noticed it about a lot of people. They're so desperate. They they want to be noticed. They want to be, you know, they want to they want to get close to that glory. They want to get close to that person. And it, it affects you spiritually. You're putting your 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 ego, your pride, your dignity. And it also will affect you spiritually. So you've got to be careful. Don't worship these people. You know, in some institutions, I've seen name, uh, this institution I worked at, I worked at a museum. I've seen names come and go. Um, benefactors come and go. Okay? You could build uh, a, a, a place uh, for some gallery some exhibit or something, and then one day you're gone. One day, you know, because of political changes, social changes or whatever, your name is taken off. Your company's name is taken off. It's all temporary. It's all human glory. It's all human, human vanity. Imagine maybe if these people invested their money in, in, in winning souls in helping souls find God. You know, they always say like, okay, what about maybe helping people? Like, they'll always be hungry. Jesus himself said that. The poor is always going to be with you. But what happens if you try to build those people in a positive way? Help them to, to stand up on their own two feet, not to depend on a social system. Not to depend on it. Because that's what's really the problem is. We've had poor people. Build them up so they can be. They can stand on their own two feet. And not always have to have their hands out. Depending on other people. And then also. Teaching them to be dependent on God. Imagine the amount of souls. 
you know, how much you could affect and change their lives and change their children's lives. That's different. And then not, not be, not expect a reward because only God knows what you've done. That's good. That'd be great. If a, if a rich person done that, if a rich person can take that money and realize how many souls you've changed, how many souls you could have affected that really in a sense pleases God and not look for, for, for a thank you. Jesus himself said that if you help somebody do it without honking your horn, do it without, without, without making the world know about it. Let only God know the good deed that you've done. That's, that's the problem. People don't do that. And I think it takes a lot because, you know, when people say a person becomes rich and suddenly they don't talk to somebody, they've changed. That, 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 that characteristic has always been there. It's always been there. I think if a person is rich, I think they should try living not as though they're not rich. What do you need that big mansion? What do you need that those those 14 bed, bedrooms? What do you need those 20 cars? Right? How many bathrooms do you need? Seriously. But imagine if you just prayed and asked God, what can I do today to to help some to help somebody? What service can I be to you? Tell me what I can do to give glory to you. Imagine if someone like that, if they were a trillionaire and they lived like that. And nobody even knew they were a trillionaire. I mean, still run a big corporation, still run a big business, but maybe just not, you know, not, you know, not always in the politics, not always in the news. Maybe it's impossible. I don't know. But imagine if you can do that. And imagine the amount of people you can affect to improve their lives, to help them get on their two feet and to help them give glory to God, to, to, to stand up and find their way to God, you know, take care of themselves and look to God and give thanks to God, give all the glory to God. Imagine the good that you could do. Imagine that. I think that person would have to be a saint to do that. And I think it also... They'll have to be, they'll have to have complete humility to fight off the vanity, to fight off the temptation. Anyway, let's end it here and move on to the closing prayer. Let me read chapter two of the imitation of Christ It's called humble self opinion. It's very short. Everyone naturally desires knowledge, but what good, what good is it without the fear of God? Indeed, a humble farmer who serves God is better than a proud philosopher who neglects himself to concentrate on the course of the universe. Who knows himself well is little, little in his own eyes and is not pleased with human praise. If I knew about everything in the world and yet had no charity, what, it, what would it all mean in the sight of God? who will judge me by my deeds. Calm 
that excessive desire for knowledge, it can be the source of much destruction, much distraction and deceit. Calm that excessive desire for knowledge. It can be the source of much distraction and deceit. Those who are learned want to appear and be recognized as wise. Matthew 22, verse 7. There are many things that are of little or no use to, to know, and it is very unwise to pay attention to certain things that are harmful to one's salvation. Many words do not satisfy the soul, but a good life gives the mind rest, and a pure conscience gives great confidence in God. When one has great learning, judgment will likewise be greater, unless one's life is also holier. Therefore, do not think too much of, of your mastery or of art or science, but rather be cautious of your knowledge. If it seems you, to you that you know many things and understand them well enough, know at the same time there are many more things which you are ignorant. Do not be conceited, but rather acknowledge your ignorance. Why prefer yourself to others when there are many more learned and skilled in the law than yourself? If you desire to understand anything in this regard, love being unknown and being esteemed as nothing, this is the highest and more profitable lesson. Truly to know and think little of yourself. It is great wisdom and high perfection to be unconcerned about ourselves and to be kind and attentive to others. If you witness the sin or given or grave fault of another, do not think you are better because you do not know how long you will remain in a good state. We are all, we are all frail, but imagine no one frailer than you. So you see, we live in a culture where we were so desperate to be loved, we're so desperate to be appreciated, that it's become a pagan idol. A pagan idol. Just, I think it's better that not to be desperate to be something. I remember there was a scene in the film, it was about St. Bernadette, it was a, a French film, and a and she said to the bishop, I am nothing. I don't think of myself as special. I don't think, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And the, the bishop said to her, then Bernadette, be the best nothing that you can be. Work on being the best nothing. And then God can be everything in you. You see, that is the goal. That is the goal. That is the goal of happiness. I think that is the goal of salvation right there. Okay. What did John the Baptist said? He must increase while I decrease. Everybody, John the Baptist became famous and he saw that his fame was in danger of getting in the way of Jesus. And we should focus on it. Thinking of ourselves as nothing, because by thinking of ourselves as nothing, God will be everything in us. 
and he can do the work in us. That's it. That's the best uh, I could say. I think that's the best thing we, we can learn today because that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us in these right in these Holy Scripture passages. Okay? You know, in Sirach, in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, and in Luke. Okay, we need to focus that we need to focus on God. The mountain, we can't climb that mountain because of our sinful pride and ego. The mount touching that holy mountain would destroy us because of our pride, our sinful nature. But when we are redeemed, then God calls us to climb that mountain. And that mountain is still difficult. To, the mountain of holiness is still difficult to climb. It's Calgatha. It's Calvary. It's Mount Zion. It's, the, it's entering the presence of the Holy God. We need to think that way. All right. Now we can go to the final prayers. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again, on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.